That's right, good. <laughs> it's my peripheral brain. Um, anyway, I am excited to be here. Uh, this is way out of my wheelhouse uh, to be up here speaking. And I'm going to use kind of the dump truck method and just sort of back up and unload. Uh, and I, I hope you're hearing me this morning. Uh, I, I want to organize my thoughts around really three, three questions about David. I'm, we're looking at uh, 2 Samuel 22. It's at the end of the, the whole narrative with David. And three questions. What's the underlying principle, the shish kebab that runs through David's life that makes him who he is? Second would be, do we see that in David's life? How is it manifested? And then thirdly, what do we do with that? How, how, does, that, uh, how, does, that, how does that relate to us now? Now, 2 Samuel 22 is the same as uh, Psalm 18. It's almost verbatim for that. And, uh, and David's kind of looking back in the rearview mirror uh, in his life, I can just see him kind of old, you know, he's beat up, he's been in all these battles, he's got scars, he's got rheumatism. And uh, in fact, it's called the Song of Deliverance in, in, the, in the psalm. But, um, so uh, we've looked at a lot of things over the last months in David's life. We've, those keystone events, Goliath, we all know about Goliath. There's that dancing before the ark uh, that's so dramatic. Um, there's that sin with Bathsheba and, and the murder of Uriah that we don't like to think about. I don't like to think about. Uh, there's the failure uh, as a father with Absalom. And then uh, last week, Jeremy, with uh, David bestowing grace in Mephibosheth, um, his Jonathan's grandson. But I want to pose a question this morning, and it's going to sound silly, but I want to put it out there. Was, was David saved? Is he in heaven? I mean, you know, we have our... Our, uh, our own kind of uh, church experience, we, we pray and, and we ask Christ in our life and, and we know we're, we're a believer, but what about David? And I heard someone put this in, in a story that kind of helped me think through this. Uh, think um, yesteryear, Mayberry, Andy Griffith, black and white TV. Uh, I can remember my son Scott saying, Dad, did they have color when you were a boy? I <laughs> but so here's a den mother. She's got, you know, a dozen Cub Scouts. They're so excited. They're going to go to the, the matinee. Been looking for months to go to this thing. And they come up to the ticket window, and there's a turnstile. And the first, you know, ones that are 10 years old or so, they go barreling through the turnstile, and they look back and say, she's going to pay. She's going to pay. She's going to pay. And the den mother comes through, puts the money down, gets the tickets, and goes through. And then the ones that are after her say, she paid. She paid. She paid. You get the analogy, don't you? That to go through there requires a ticket. And the ticket has to be purchased. It has to be purchased by somebody with something more. No Cub Scout could have gone up to the turnstile and said, look at me. Clean uniform, pressed, brush my teeth, comb my hair, I'm good. They couldn't have gone up to the turnstile and said, look at my merit badges. Let me in. And they couldn't have gone up and said, boy, I have the rank of Weebelos. Let me in. It took a ticket. And uh, the Old Testament narrative, I think, tells us that we're hardwired for eternity. We want the turnstile, don't we? Uh, St. Augustine kind of characterizes man as saying, we have that God-shaped vacuum in our heart, and we want to fill it with everything, but we know no peace till we fill it with thee. Um, and I hear this. Every Old Testament narrative leads us to the turnstile, leads us to wanting a ticket. Just think about this. Um, 
Abraham. We know we're, we're told that he's, uh, he had faith and it was credited to him as righteousness. But uh, Genesis 22, God gives him the, the test. He says, take your son Isaac and sacrifice him. Isaac's walk along and Scripture says, behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. Now, the angels, 1 <laughs> Peter 1 tells us the angels long to look and see what we see now, the gospel, the, the, the whole story. And I'm sure they're going, what? God's going to provide the lamb? Then we get to Noah, and Scripture tells us Noah's in the boat in the ark, and, and they're bringing all the animals, and he's waiting, and the door is open. And if I were writing this, I would say, David and his sons pulled mightily on the ropes and closed the door. But Scripture specifically says that God closed the door and sealed them in. And the angel was saying, what? And then uh, we get Moses, centuries before David. And, and Moses is given some very specific directions with the use of hyssop and the blood of a lamb sprinkled over the door so the angel of death would, would pass over them. And there had to be a blood sacrifice. That was understood. But I'm sure the angels were saying, what? And then we get to Isaiah. And if we bring up on the screen Isaiah uh, 1.18, Isaiah says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And all through Isaiah, the, the latter part of the, the last ten chapters are all about the suffering servant and the lamb that would be slain for us as a sacrifice. I'm sure the angels are saying, what? They couldn't get it. And so for th the thousands of years of history in the Bible all come down to those 33 years of the Christ story, don't they? Uh, someone put that the hinge of history swings on a hinge on a Bethlehem stable. And when, the next time you write the date, this week, stop and think, 2022, 2022, 2022 years, plus or minus two or three years, since that hinge swung open and revealed the Christ child and the story. And the New Testament is all about the cost, the extravagant cost of purchasing the ticket to go through the turnstile. And no wonder the angels who've been looking and looking and looking, finally singing for the shepherds, right? And why in Revelation they're singing like crazy because the story is put forward. So was David saved? Is he in heaven? You bet, according to the proof text, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, the Hall of Fame, some people call it, all the Old Testament guys, I like to call it the, um, the guys who said, he's going to pay, he's going to pay. We're looking with faith for something that had not happened yet. And Hebrews 11 starts that whole section uh, with the definition of faith. We can bring it up again on the screen, uh, Hebrews 11.1, 1, if it's up there. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now was David convinced? Was he convicted of that? Did he really live that? And uh, I would say that David so grasped this that it wasn't some kind of uh, theoretical concept in his head. It transformed him. It revolutionized him. And to see that, I want to look at our passage this morning, 2 Samuel 22, and we're going to pick 21 through 25, but we bring that up on the screen. And I almost thought about having us read this in unison because, and I'm not, but to feel the weight of what David is saying here. 
The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands he delivered me. For I have kept my ways of the Lord and am not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules went before me, and from these statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless for him and kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. Did you feel that? I read that. What? His blameless? His cleanness? I mean, in 2 Samuel, just a few weeks ago, a few chapters back, we read all about Bathsheba and his adultery, his murder of Uriah, and he's got clean hands. I mean, it's, it's absurd. It's almost like the emperor has no clothes. I mean, think about it. But then you stop, and I had to reread this again. I went, wow, look closer. I was blameless before him, according to my cleanness in his sight. And I didn't read verse 33, but it says, God has made me blameless. And he followed the statutes. The statutes were the Mosaic law, the hyssop, the blood of the lamb that we read about in uh, Moses. And so when Nathan confronted him, you're the man. David was cut to the quick. Remember the hyssop, the blood of the lamb? Psalm 51 is it's just a, a, David pouring out his heart as he realizes his brokenness, his sin, for which he had never really recovered in the kingdom, but he was forgiven. But uh, Psalm 51.7, if we bring that up on the screen, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. So David lived that out. It wasn't some absurd, self-righteous statement. He knew he was forgiven. And at the core, he understood that he needed a ticket, if you will. It had to be purchased by someone greater, the blood of a lamb. But he didn't have the details that we now have now. He knew that somehow or another, he's going to pay. Now, does that account for David, all the things that went on with him? I think we have to go a little bit further as I kind of thought and worked through this. And there are just five words that I think give us David the core, the shish kebab that ran through his life. And it's in Acts 13.22 in the New Testament, reflecting back. If we bring that up on the screen, you can see where Paul quotes God as saying, I found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. A man after my own heart. What does that mean? Now, we know that um, we understand that the heart in the scriptural view is that place where we live. It's, it's where we, who we are. It's our body, mind, soul, and spirit. It's, it's where we feel what we feel and we do what we do. It's who we are. And if you think about it, that involves the brain, right? That's where we think. Um, and the eight ancient Hebrews uh, didn't have a word for the brain. Uh, it, that created a conundrum for the uh, King James translators. I understand it. They, when they first translated the Bible, they had to use the word bowels to get to the heart. And so guys, don't run home tonight uh, and tell your wife, um, honey, my bowels are running after you. Um, <laughs> my bowels long for you. My bowels sing for you. It, it, that's not going to work. Um, but uh, what is that? The brain is that three-pound organ that sits between your ears right now, full of electrical activity, that's trying to process what I'm saying and doing a million other things in your body right now. And I'm going to get real nerdy here. Uh, some people look at this sack. Somebody said, what is that? Well, let me show you what it is. It's a model of a brain. 
and, and I want to stay with me on this now. Um, the brain, we all have heard left and right brain, right? Left brain, right brain. It really is two functional parts of us. If you, uh, if you have a stroke uh, on the left side, you're likely to be able to hear but not speak. If you stroke, stroke out the, um, the, the middle cerebral artery on the right side, you're liable to hear and speak but not be able to move an arm or a leg. But they really are two parts of us that work together. And the left brain is what says two plus two is four. The right brain says, how did you feel the first day of school? The left brain is designing a malfunction junction. <laughs> the right brain is feeling the anger when you're stuck in traffic at, at that. The left brain is uh, trying to get the SAT score the highest in school. The right brain is feeling all the trauma of all those relationships in high school that we all feel, and some of you are maybe still struggling with some of that. The left brain is very analytical, logical. It, we feel safe in the left brain. The right brain is where we're most vulnerable. It relates to people. And uh, they're very, very important. Now, um, you can think of it like the left brain is the sail. The right brain is the wind in the sail. If you have all left brain, you're going to be dead in the water. Think um, like Murray. If you're all right brain, uh, then you're going to be blown about by the wind and tossed to and fro. Uh, first, uh, James 1 talks about the, he talks about the double-minded man, the man who asks for wisdom without faith. They're not connected. You can imagine going to rushes and having a two-headed person, I want the hamburger, no, I want the hot dog, I want the hamburger, I want the hot dog, and God's going, you know, it's almost like a cartoon. And when we're that way before God when we are disconnected. And I think in uh, Genesis 1 and 2, when Adam and Eve walked with God, they were together. And then in Genesis 3, after the fall, our parts of our brain became separated and we're no longer uh, together. Now, um, at conversion, when we're born again, I think God puts those two together. And I don't, I don't get a little analytical here, but uh, Romans 8, 9, and 10, we'll bring that up on the screen. We've heard this if you've been in church forever. Um, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Think about that. At conversion, the heart, the right brain, believes. The left brain takes action and confesses with the mouth. I think God puts the brain together before him for the first time. I was 16 years old, and when I heard it, the gospel in a way that I could do that, believe and confess, and for me that was going forward in a church, in a different church. I, had, I guess I'd never heard that in a way that, that I could respond to, but God puts that together. And then I guess as we go on and, and grow, our, our Paul with his left brain could argue in seven chapters of Romans uh, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. But then he turns right around in Galatians and talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Against such things there is no law. That's all right brain stuff, isn't it? They come together. 1 Corinthians 13 is the right brain. If we don't love, we're a clanging cymbal and a gong that just makes noise. 
Paul talks about being transformed by the renewal of your mind. Uh, I think we're transformed when we come together. Now, I've kind of gotten a little nerdy here, so let me see. How do we do with, what does this mean for David? Uh, picture these scenarios and just think how this might work for David. A heart after man's, uh, God's own heart. David's laying back uh, on a rock. He's a shepherd boy. He looks up and sees the stars, left brain. Wow, look at all those stars. God made them all. And the right brain kicks in and says, when I look at your stars, the work of your fingers, the stars and the moon, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou dost care for him? He's facing Goliath, left brain, right brain, left brain. Whew, this is bad, <laughs> really bad. Almost nine feet tall, heavily armed, spear, javelin, sword. This is not good. But remember, you have taken down a bear and a lion with a shepherd. Then right brain kicks in. He looks at Goliath and says, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Left brain kicks in. He's got five pebbles. He picks up that, that leather uh, thing and what we want to call it and slings it around his head like he's done for years and lets it go Tom Brady style right into Goliath's <laughs> forehead. Left brain took in then, kicked in. Um, bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. Left brain, Uzzah died, but we've got the poles, we've got the loops, we're okay. Right brain, and this is amazing, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. I mean, he wasn't doing the electric slide before the ark. <laughs> he was dancing with all his might. Right brain, expressing what his left brain knew. He was all in, and so much so that Micah, if you're reading Samuel's uh, the sixth chapter, dissed him and uh, tried to uh, give him a hard time for that and then tried to embarrass him for it. David feels anxious. He's just having an anxiety attack. I don't know. Left brain kicks in and says, I'm aware of your feelings. You're very anxious. But remember, God has been good. Right brain, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You lead me beside still waters. Left brain and right brain together. That was David's life. He's the only man in all scripture that says that uh, he was, had a heart after God's own heart. Why? Because he knew the truth of the gospel, took a purchase ticket, we just read that in 2 Samuel, and then he lived it out in all the things that we've studied about. He was all in. He was pedal to the metal. He was full bore because they were together in, in his life. Now, what does all this mean for you and me, besides being a little bit kind of crazy? You'd be up here talking about it. If you have a left brain issue, you say, I'm going to say, fill out a connect card. We keep talking that here. Fill out a connect card and say, I don't think I understand this purchase of the ticket thing. I don't know that I can go through the turnstile. Somebody will uh, meet with you and talk with you this week about that. Let's say that you've um, you got a problem with the right brain. Uh, you've got the knowledge, you've got the left brain, but there's no movement, dead in the water, no wind. Then I would say, fill out a connect card. <laughs> because it's only in community that our right brains change. Right now, I'm getting kind of weird here, but your right brains are all kind of connecting with each other. You're sort of feeling, 
who's around you and what's going on. And that's how our right brains grow. So it's here at Rated Church that there's opportunity for that. That's why we, we worship together as a body, because we're, we're doing that. And uh, if you have both sides working, right brain, left brain, left brain's growing, right brain, good tailwind, then I'm going to say sail. Sail into the kingdom here at Radius, knowing that uh, there's going to be high tides and low tides, high winds and storms, but sail, knowing that the world out there is going to diss you because you've got a sail that's oriented to Scripture, and you're going to be swimming up or sailing upstream. Fill out a connect card so you can, <laughs> so you can encourage others in that, that sailing. Now, I'm not kind to... Um, this the left brain. We know we need both. It's like two-winged truth. The bird flies with both wings, not one. And if we're all left brain, we're going to be, we're going to stumble into religiosity and rule-keeping, devoid of love. Um, Paul said knowledge puffs us up if it's left by itself. And if we're all right-wing and all we are is emotional without the scriptural truth, we're just going to be blown about and, and going in circles. How do we know where we are? And this is going to sound really uh, almost too simplistic, but we have to pop the hood and see what's going on. We have to be self-aware. What is happening inside of me? Um, and in a moment, we're going to have uh, uh, an opportunity to kind of do that. We're going to do two things. We're going to sing. And when we sing, <laughs> we can just mouth the words and our brain be somewhere else. But while we're singing, if our right brain is feeling as I did this morning in our singing and what we'll do in a minute, are your right and left brains together? Are you worshiping? Uh, are you feeling in your heart what's being sung? St. Augustine said that when we sing, we pray twice with our words and with our heart. And that's what worship is all about. I love singing with my wife, by the way, because she's better at this than I am, too. Uh, and I feel her in my right brain because she's able to express that worship. Um, the second thing we're going to do is we're gonna, some of you will want to come forward and take communion. Uh, and if your heart is right, you've confessed your sin, uh, then you come. But you're coming in obedience to the command, do this in remembrance of me. But think, left brain, this is my blood shed for the covenant. And your right brain should feel the wetness, his blood that was crucified, the price, the ticket. The left brain, this is my body broken for you, the wafer. Right brain, when you feel it break between your fingers or in your teeth, you should feel broken. And he was broken for us so that we could be paid. Right and left brain together. Now, I need to land this thing so... Uh, I'm going to uh, do this. Now, what am I saying? I think that David, the shish kebab that ran through his life was that uh, not he had a heart after God's own heart, but not because he danced before the ark or took down Goliath. Those were just evidence of the, right, of the heart after God's own heart. He had that because the blood had been spread with the hyssop of the lamb for his heart. The other thing is because of Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah and his adultery, he was not disqualified from having a heart after God's own heart. Because, again, Psalm 51.7, the blood of the hyssop, the lamb, he had a heart after God's own heart. 
And the challenge for us today is, can we live that way? Can we know God's forgiveness, the hyssop, the blood, and can we be all in full bore so that we can sail, so that we can dance before the ark, so that we can take down the Goliath that may or may not be in your life or will come in your life? Let's pray. Father, we uh, acknowledge that we are broken. We acknowledge that we need a ticket, that you have now on this side of, of, of uh, eternity, our, we see it. You have done it, and the ticket is purchased, and we rejoice in that. Lord, let us live full bore for you in light of that. Our hearts cleansed by the hyssop, the blood, and then living all in for you. And we give you praise and thanks for that now in Jesus' name and no other. Amen.